This is Marco Reus. This is Shinji Kagawa. This is Nuri Shahin. Hello, this is Jaden Sancho. And you're listening to the Yellow Wall podcast. Hello and welcome to episode 458 of the Yellow Airpod. I'm your host, Stefan And today we will talk about the general vibes of Borussia Dortmund, considering we haven't been on in a while. And uh, in that meantime, Borussia Dortmund did lose to Bayern Munich for nothing. They uh, did win in the Champions League against Newcastle to do nothing, which means they're top of their Champions League group. But then they also turned around and lost to VfB Stuttgart. And uh, it wasn't pretty. Uh, and here with me... To discuss all that, or you know, how things are in general. <laughs> Last Parman, hello Lars, how are you doing? Hello Stefan, I'm a bit cold, so I apologize in advance if anyone hears any radiator noises. <laughs> Instead of the fridge noises that one usually hears. <laughs> Fair. And also here, Matthias Zug. Hello Matthias. Hello, how are you? I'm I'm doing great. I uh it's it's probably because I've made a very conscious decision to not watch the Bayern game and said go to a Sixers game. Uh we had tickets uh from my wife's work and so if you get free tickets to a game it's uh, hard to say no to that. Unfortunately or fortunately, however you want to say it, uh, both these games were scheduled at the same time. So uh I Took a mental health day and did not watch the Bayern game. Although I should I should premise that with I did turn the game on on my phone for like two minutes, saw Dortmund can see the corner, and uh, yeah, then I just turned the phone off and tried to just enjoy the the basketball game right in front of me. Um, Lars, since then a lot has happened. Uh, every time I look at my phone and there's a push notification uh, about Borussia Dortmund, it's usually something negative. Um, if I remember our previous episodes, we were talking mostly about positive trends and things we liked, etc., etc. Uh, <laughs> but now I feel like uh, things have turned around quite a bit. Uh, why is that? First of all, I have to reprimand you for not clicking on articles quite possibly written by me, Stefan, uh, depending <laughs> on whatever app that is. It is the one football app, so there is a high chance that those are your articles. Within yeah, that, and that's, yes. That's, that's uh, straight cash that's missing in my pockets, Stefan, ultimately. So uh, better I get apologize. on that train again. Um, I, I honestly forgot whatever question you had because I was so shocked by that. All right, why? Okay, all right. Last then, please, I'm, I apologize that I haven't read all your articles that you've written. Why don't you just give me a quite little summary of all the shit you wrote within the last two weeks and then we're all up to speed here. Well, basically, uh, everything's burning and <laughs> Hans-Joachim Watzke is the dog in the meme who's saying this is fine. All right. That's the, the long and short of it. No, I mean... Obviously, even without watching the Bayern game, you will have noticed uh, the fallout from that. I'm almost inclined to say at this point uh, that, that the Bayern games don't really count, even though obviously 
typically they were getting thrashed in Munich and not at home. So that was the, the, the most disappointing part because usually the games in Dortmund were quite good and also quite good, uh, advertisements for the Bundesliga. And that was definitely not the case this time around because Dortmund were so poor, especially in the first half and the game was basically over after 20 or so minutes, uh, already slipped my mind, which is a good thing, I suppose. And then the turn around. Really good performance against Newcastle, uh, well on their way to qualifying for the knockout stages in the Champions League, which is obviously huge, um, for both prestige and financial reasons. And then, uh, in typical Dortmund fashion, I think that's basically something we've said as if we were broken records, uh, following up perhaps their best performance of the season with, uh, laying an absolute egg at Stuttgart. Uh, no exaggeration to say it could have been 4-5-0 for Stuttgart after uh, the first half. Gregor Kobel keeping Dortmund in the game. Um, the the false dawn of Niklas Füllkrug scoring the, the opener for Dortmund, which was already absolutely ridiculous. I, I, after I, I, th I think you buried the lead there. First penalty yeah, save in like a decade. Yep, ultimately didn't matter, so... Uh, <laughs> no, it did not, but still. <laughs> that blew my mind that, uh, I mean, in the league probably, right? There must have yeah, been yeah, penalties somewhere in the cup or somewhere. Weidenfeller but... in the Champions League, I think. And, Jesus and obviously Christ. there were a couple of penalty shootouts, but yeah, in the league. The last one was actually Weidenfeller on Kevin Prince Boateng during uh, his famous uh, escapade at Schalke uh, in 2013, something like October 2013, I think. Uh, yeah, I mean, um, obviously that game being level at halftime at Stuttgart, an absolute travesty and, and both testament to Kobel's excellence and the fact that Seru uh, Girasi was missing for Stuttgart. He obviously came on and scored the second penalty, which was quite clumsy from uh, Kobel. Yeah, uh, without question, an even worse performance uh, than against Bayern, especially considering that Stuttgart, while on a great run form, are not at the level of Bayern Munich these days. Uh, and obviously that being the last game going into an international break is always bad for the vibes, as you uh, alluded to earlier uh, in the introduction. Uh, the sky is falling. They are only fifth in the league table, being overtaken by uh, Leipzig a day later, I think. Uh, and, and yeah, I mean, I, I'm sure we'll get onto it eventually during this episode, but I think there's... Uh, definitely a point to be made about Dortmund's terrible autumn form over the last few years. I mean, looking back at it, Lucien Favre was sacked around this time of the year. Uh, last season ahead of the, the Qatar World Cup, they lost those two dreadful matches against Wolfsburg and Gladbach. Uh, now another, uh, autumn of misery. So, uh, um, potentially another autumn of misery anyway. So definitely something to look uh, at. And given that there's now this sprint towards the winter break with, I think, seven games for Dortmund, might be eight. Uh, that's that's not an ideal place to have uh, huge question marks over your general quality, but also your, your run of form. Yeah, Matthias, I've heard a lot of criticism from uh, people uh, around the coach, around the, the tactics, around uh, the, the player quality. We had the whole... I think it was after the Stuttgart game where Füllkrug criticized the the match plan on the the way Dortmund were prepared, but then also went out of his way to say that it was not criticism toward Ilan Tesic, which obviously 
you have to read it like that. So, uh, as last mentioned, a lot of fires. <clears throat> so, similar question to you. <laughs> what is going wrong right now with the black and yellows? Oh, jeez. You know, I'm on a time crunch, so I <laughs> keep this concise in like less than 10 hours. Um, the things that are wrong with Borussia Dortmund. <laughs> well, I mean, I know a lot of our American friends somehow think Gio Reyna is going to be the sole answer to Dortmund's woes, and I hate to disappoint them that I totally do not see that. Um, I think the problem is when you look at these matches, and you kind of alluded to this, and we've spoken about this in, in the weeks past, that you know they played two really good matches against Newcastle. They had a good cup match against Hoffenheim. And then they've been, let's just say, problematic in the league at times now, uh, in the last few weeks. It's almost like a reverse Klopp. Uh, in the sense of, remember, Dortmund under Klopp uh, got into the Champions League really the first time, and, like, the midweek matches, I don't even remember how early they got knocked out of the Cup that season, but the midweek matches were horrendous, but then, of course, they won, uh, I believe, the double that season. Um, no, I guess they it was the year before that they did so poorly in the Champions League. Be that as it may, it it's... Um, it's interesting because, and I've seen, you know, Lars say this on, on Twitter or X or whatever we're calling it these days, you know, wow, that was a great performance against Newcastle. And then, well, predictably, after one of the best performances comes one of the worst performances. And it's just, it's sad that we all see that trend, you know, and that this team, as it is right now, uh, yes, with some injuries, is not able to have two good matches in a week. And I think that's what it comes down to. Sebastian Hunes alluded kind of to that in the post-match press conference where he said, you know, we were banking on them being tired and we ran at them hard and yeah, they were tired. And if it wasn't for Gregor Kobel, uh, Stuttgart should have won that match by four, five, six goals. Really? Uh, it's really insane. They had a, over uh, an XG of over four. Dolman had an XG of one. Uh, the same XG they had against Bayern, even though visually they seem to have more chances in the Bayern match than in the Stuttgart match. But, you know, be that as it may, it's just uh, I, I, I can't say necessarily that the issue is Eden Terzic um, because then he gets things right. You know, it's there's an inconsistency there, and that's the problem. Uh, if you can be more consistently good in your performance then you tend to get more good grace. I, I think the squad is thin in certain key areas because you can't rely on just Julian Brandt, a resurgent 30-something-year-old Marco Royce, and in defense, a resurgent 30-something Mats Hummels. You know, if those are your key or Julian Rias on somehow becoming Lionel Messi for 20 seconds in a match. Those are the things you can't depend upon. And, you know, I went back and looked at just statistically some of the other matches that Dortmund has won, and it's there were some really good performances in there, but there were also some where it was like, okay, they probably shouldn't have won that one. You know, the, the Hoffenheim League match comes to mind. And so 
Overall, I think um, I really wish there was a Qatar World Cup right now <laughs> because they could get like two months to figure this stuff out. They won't have that time. And uh, you alluded to Lucien Favre getting sacked uh, this time of year. Obviously, Peter Bosch got the boot this time of year. And if things don't turn around in the next four weeks... I could see Aiden Tazic facing the same uh, fate, to be perfectly honest. Um, he's not, you know, we all know he's a likable guy. He has done many things right, but he's still woefully inexperienced. And we, we can't forget that. I mean, he was basically foisted into the side um, after Lucien Favre, and then the team responded, did really well, won a cup, and there's kind of this expectation that gets repeated, then they almost become champions, but choke it away on the in like the last 90 minutes of the season. And so it's it's hard for me to say it's just it in Tezic, but there, there is a greater issue there that um, I think the Stuttgart match showed and we've seen this in seasons past where teams that don't play internationally have good seasons because they're fresher but then you look at Bayern and you can just see the Bundesliga in a nutshell in Bayern they spend 100 million on one player and that player has been uh, to say a difference maker I think is an understatement as to what Harry Kane has done in 11 matches in the league but massive impact and nobody else can drop a hundred million on a player nobody and so it's just I have no faith in Leverkusen keeping this up so you know congratulations Bayern on another title win um but Dortmund have more rebuilding ahead of them um but if it really does look like Champions League spots are in jeopardy um, I don't know how much longer the patience will hold. Now, granted, last season, this time of year, Dortmund were in a worse position in the league, and then they ended up almost winning the league. So maybe they'll hold to Tezic with more faith than I necessarily have. Yeah, maybe. I'm not entirely sure. You know, the, the word trust is being thrown around a lot. Uh, Lars, when I read the headlines... <laughs> Uh, on my football whatever app, um, it's often or, or or just on Twitter, I often uh read summaries of articles where it's basically uh K wanted to do X, but Tessage wanted to do Y. Then they did Y, and Y now doesn't look as good as Kiel's X, <laughs> which came out wrong. I apologize, but uh, nevertheless, last uh, is there some disharmony within the Dortmund front office and, and the top brass are Kiel and Tessic from, I don't know, the reporting that you probably see better than I do. Uh, are they not on the same page as much as they should? Or is this all just cooked up uh, and speculation? Where, where are we in the whole Kiel versus Tessic relationship or and, and Tessic relationship? I mean, ultimately, when there's so much smoke, there's ought to be a fire somewhere. Uh, I think there's too much uh, media reporting about, you know, some aspects of that relationship being strained for them to all be 
pure speculation and I think everybody who works in in the business uh, to put it haughtily if you like um, knows that people like to talk sometimes and, and vent their frustrations and whatever so I could easily see uh, some of this stuff being leaked on purpose uh, by some of the parties involved um, especially when as you said uh, you know there are versions of uh, for example, transfer business that one of the parties wanted and the other didn't, and obviously that now looks like a like the the other party was in in the right. So, for example, um, Emre Can captain injured, not playing a good season until that point. Uh, it's being brought up again that Sebastian K wanted to sign Edson Alvarez, uh, who's doing well for uh, West Ham in the Premier League, as far as I can tell. Um, on the same hand, uh, Rami Benzebaini supposedly a kill signing, not doing well for Dortmund at the moment, and now it's being reported that uh, Aiden Terzic wasn't really hot on on uh, Benzebaini coming over from Gladbach. So, at the end of the day, I think uh, the the problem sometimes is that uh, at Dortmund certain members of the media, but also of the club, uh, mostly talking about Hans-Jörg Watzke, uh, seem to be stuck in the, the mindset that, uh, you know, head coach, CEO, sporting director have to be an absolute unison on everything, have to be great pals, uh, have to be the Watzke talk, uh, uh, Klopp uh, triumvirate of, of yesteryear. And that's just not the reality at most clubs. Most clubs have friction among uh, their, their leading personnel, and, and that can be a very good thing. Um, obviously, the, the general outline of what you're trying to do needs to be aligned, and I don't know if that's necessarily the case at Dortmund, but I think if you look at, uh, and that's obviously what's being brought up most these days, uh, their, their transfer business over the last couple of seasons, perhaps, um, I think regardless of, you know, the absolute specifics of who wanted to sign whom, who didn't want to sign whomever. Uh, I think there's a general outline uh, and that seems to indicate to me an uh, aligned philosophy of going for a bit more experience than before, going with Bundesliga experience particularly, going with players who seem to be more uh, mentally and physically resilient. Obviously, there are exceptions uh, to, to the rule with, for example, a Felix Matcher being signed after one Good season in the Bundesliga. Um, obviously, now that's bringing up the it, it's real in a way because uh, Mecha has been injured quite a bit and is now obviously also injured and in, in the doubt for the Gladbach game on Saturday. But yeah, I mean, generally speaking, I think I cannot see a direction they have taken. Now it's it's one I don't agree with necessarily. I don't think um, you know their squad building has been particularly smart over the last couple of seasons especially uh, given they knew how much money they were going to make with uh, Holland and Bellingham. I think there could have been a bit more ambition, especially when you consider some of the players a team like Leverkusen have signed for similar money to what Dortmund has spent. Uh, I think right now you would be quite uh, uh, idiotic in a way not to take what Leverkusen have done. I mean, they've basically turned their fortunes around with uh, signings that haven't been impossible for a club like Dortmund to make, but they've didn't, uh, they haven't made them because Dortmund have another philosophy at the point, at, at the, uh, at the moment. And I don't know if, if we can pinpoint that to, uh, 
Terzic or to Kiel or to Watzka, I think, or even to Matthias Sammer, whom some have criticized over the last few weeks and months. I think ultimately they are pulling the wagon in the same direction and it's not a direction I agree with. Matthias, do you agree with that? Um, well, I mean, it's at the end of the day, they're damned if they do, damned if they don't. I mean, what was the criticism just a few seasons ago? Oh, it's all just kids, all just super young, uh, you know, speculative talent. And, and now there, there's not enough speculative talent, even though there are some, uh, but unfortunately they're injured all the time, you know, uh, Jamie Bino Gittens. And I think Duranville could be a really good player, um, but he's young and already dealing with injuries but there is there is a a shift there to add more experience um you know i think of the players that they signed mecha is the only one that i would say has developmental upside just because of his age uh, everyone else that they signed is they're the player who they are in that sense i mean fukuk is fukuk ben zabini is who he is they're not going to develop further I think the Rias on transfer was actually was a was a good one, but he too, um, you know, I don't I don't see any massive massive jumps there. Um, so I mean, the days of huge transfer fees for players um, is going to be over for a while, um, and so that's where then more emphasis has to be on maintaining a Champions League footprint uh that means qualifying every season and then advancing past the group stages uh and to do that you need to up the quality um i think part of the reasoning behind more experienced players is the theory of them you know being more mentally durable and and not necessarily throwing you know dropping their shoulders and throwing a hissy fit per se um but that's you know, you can't really say that all the time. I mean, it's 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 an it's an odd I'm not going to say it's an odd direction. Um, and yeah, you know, a lot of people correctly point to Leverkusen and what they've been able to do with their purchases. Um, you know, Victor Boniface, that one I'm not going to put at Dortmund's feet necessarily because that decision apparently from a few things that I've heard and read had to be made at a time when Dortmund were banking on Sebastian Alea to come true. And he did. And then he, and, and now he's obviously uh, in an extreme uh, form and, and physical crisis. So that decision had to be made at a time when Dortmund weren't ready to make it. Uh, Alex Grimaldo, I still believe. And Stefan, you and I talked about it last season or yeah, or during the summer, I can't remember, that Dortmund were kind of banking on Guerrero still being at the club um, and being part of that creative catalyst in central midfield. And I think when he decided to not stay, to leave, that that uh, was a bit of a plan and brain scrambler. It's still, I still think that was something they weren't expecting per se. And uh, I think you can put that a little bit at their feet for if that's the case, that they were a little naive in that situation because Guerrero in central midfield, again, I'm not a Guerrero left back fan, 
But in central midfield, he'd be a difference maker. He'd be a difference maker creatively in this side. And a lot of times in a lot of the matches when we watch it, that's really where there's an issue. Um, and you can't just bank on Julian Brandt because, yeah, he's in great form. But when he's not, which he's entitled to have an off day, a lot of things tend to fall fall to pieces. So there are legitimate criticisms of the transfer policy. We're seeing it now in the fact that Zule, Hummels, and Schlotterbeck are expected to play every match because apparently the confidence in Marius Wolf as being a stand-in at right back is gone. And so Zule has to play there. Um, ben Sebaini, the confidence in him has dropped. So Riasson has to play on the left side, even though he should be playing on the right. That's how this was constructed. And... So, yeah, I mean, the the defensive makeup is an issue and buildup comes also from the back. And then the breakdown in midfield press is a clear thing that we see as well. So they either need to figure it out um, tactically and with the players that they have. I would suggest dipping into the transfer market in the yucky time of January, but they have to. I think there's no way around it. Um, and reevaluate Aiden Tezic to a degree. Is he really going to pull an Aiden Tezic for a third time in the second half of the season? I don't know if he can. And I think Bayern will be way, way out of uh, um, anyone reaching them at some point, uh, including Leverkusen. And so, I mean, for Dortmund at this point, it's, it's a top four finish. That's the goal. Yeah, which uh, might be hard enough uh, the way they are playing right now. And I mean, you're absolutely right. Uh, and when we look at Dortmund's build-up, you know, I, I absolutely hate when Dortmund, you know, try to build up via the fullback and then already lose the ball from either the right back or the left back because they don't have enough solutions to progress the ball often enough. And then, uh, you know, uh, getting counterattacked to shreds. Uh, it was to me very enlightening to see the. Uh, Stuttgart game, because obviously I didn't see how, how Dortmund conceded the goals against Bayern, uh, except for the one corner. Um, but if you look at the game against Stuttgart and the game against Frankfurt, I think that it was very, very similar in how Stuttgart and Frankfurt attacked on the counterattack and how vulnerable Dortmund were. And uh, to me, that really speaks uh, to a lack of positional play because uh, the way Dortmund lost the ball in their build-up play, to me, is simply inexcusable uh, in, in too many ways. And obviously, sometimes they do lose the ball very high up the field. And then also concede a counter-attack, which I think is a little bit different, where uh, you know your positional play uh, or, or your reaction to losing the ball um, is is terrible, but uh, the build up alone right now is where I'm focused. Is uh, it's just inadequate, and that to me does come down to the coach. And uh, I'm starting to lose faith in Tessic a little bit as well. And uh, I re recall saying myself that Tessic is Butzke's final bullet, and if that doesn't work out, he has to go. And I feel like uh, we have reached a point uh, where. I think he is up for debate, but that debate, Lars, and I'm going to drop this question on you now, uh, can only be had 
if we talk about potential replacements, because I think we've been asked about replacements uh, for a coach, um, but I've been wondering to myself, and I didn't really have an answer, I don't know if you have one, Lars, but if Dortmund were, and obviously very unrealistic, uh, to replace Hans-Joachim Watzke, he'd step down or whatever, uh, who'd be the next man or woman up to take the job and, and guide Borussia Dortmund in, into safer waters? Because right now, I think we're all pretty unhappy with what Matthias has said, that basically uh, what we now have to do is secure Champions League. Uh, Dortmund, with their financial firepower they do have, I think should be performing much better than they are. So, Lars, <laughs> if Dortmund were to replace Hans-Joachim Watzke, how would that look like, if you have an answer? I mean, I can answer with a question myself. Uh, how many CEOs of other clubs do you actually know the name of? Uh, a couple, but not many. Yeah, because uh, it's a structural question at, at the base of things. I mean... Hans-Joachim Watzke is uh, obviously with all his roles in, in the German FA and, and UEFA committees or FIFA committees, I'm not exactly sure. And he was in the ECA, the, the club association, might still be. Uh, he's wearing a lot of hats. Uh, and at Dortmund, he's basically the the man with final say in uh, both sporting and also uh, financial terms. So uh, I think the, the problem... Uh, lies in trying to replace someone like that just like for like with one person. I think that's that's a fool's errand because you're not going to find someone uh, with the know-how, the experience, and also the passion for Dortmund, which I think we should never uh, discount in Watzke because he does very much love this club. He uh, helped save it. I, I think it's always difficult to say that he's the one man who saved it because... Uh, Dortmund are an enterprise that cannot be saved by one person or weren't saved by one person. So if ever a situation like that arose, and obviously it will arise at some point because uh, Watzke is well into his 60s as far as I'm uh, aware. Uh, I'm, I'm not actually sure how old he is, but I would venture I guess he's right around 64, 65 or something. He is maybe. 64. Yeah. Um, I think this... This is not the kind of position you hold, you know, into your 70s or whatever. So um, I think there were some rumors about Watzke potentially uh, signing, you know, a last contract extension at some point now. Uh, and then that's or the, the question of succession obviously has to come up naturally then. So if that were to happen earlier, because, for example, just, you know, uh, putting something out there. Uh, doesn't work out with Terzic. Uh, Watzko obviously very close to Terzic saying, you know what, I don't want to replace this guy. I want to leave with him or uh, I, I no longer think I'm the best for the job or whatever. Then Dortmund would probably have to uh, change the structure around, um, giving some of the DCEO responsibilities to uh, their financial chiefs, whether that's uh, Carsten Kramer or Thomas Tress. Um, and giving presumably the sporting director, um, be that Sebastian Kehl or a successor, more responsibilities in the sporting department. Because at most clubs in the Bundesliga, which is why you don't know the names of CEOs, um, the, the role is split a bit more than at Dortmund. So 
for example, the I think the the hottest name in in German uh, DOF, if you like, Director of Football, which is you know the general term I suppose in English speaking countries for those roles, is Markus Krösche, who's the who's on the board at Frankfurt uh, for the sporting side. So in, we always say Sportchef in German, which is uh, also a generic term, but he's um, doing what. Uh, Sebastian Kehl or Michael Zorc does with more responsibilities at Frankfurt. And and basically that's the kind of structure that Dortmund presumably would have to apply, which is meaning uh, replacing one person, Watzke, with at least two people um, splitting responsibilities. And I mean, this is so speculative to to even think about, but Krusche would be the most logical name to look at if you wanted to assign someone for a more responsible role than what the sporting directors have because he's doing excellent work at uh, Frankfurt. He was at uh, RB Leipzig before then, so he's well-versed in uh, clubs playing in Europe. Uh, I think Frankfurt's transfer business has been excellent since he's been on there. I mean, he's, for example, this summer signed Elias Giri uh, and Hugo Larsson uh, basically re remodeling the entirety of Frankfurt's midfield for a combined fee of, I don't know, 12 million euros or whatever, because Skiri was on the free. Uh, both of those guys so far looking better than what Dortmund signed for 50 million in midfield. So um, I once again, want to highlight how highly, highly speculative all of this is, but uh, you asked the question. Yeah, I did. And I'm going to ask the same question to Matthias. Uh Frauding a little more, do you, do you have any other names of, of people you would like to see replace Watzke and uh, how would that look like? How would the structure of Borussia Dortmund change if, if that were to happen? Well, I don't think I'd give a different answer than what Lars, Lars just gave. I mean, uh, as far as names go, you have to look at the clubs that structurally build very, very well, very consistently. And um, in in the Bundesliga and and pick from there, but Vatska, yeah, he's sixty four now. I think his time is coming in the next few years. Let's say within the next five six years, and yeah, you would have to have a different structure. I think a lot of that'll come down to what role, if any, Matthias Sama still wants to play in this triumvirate. Uh, how Sebastian Kehl performs in the meantime, I think would be very, very um, influential in that decision. And yeah, I mean, like last said, I mean, Watzke was a key component in the whole saving of Dortmund in 2005. Um, Raubal, another really key person in there. And I think it's also not to be entirely overlooked that some of the inconsistencies at Dortmund have also arisen after Raubal's retirement. Um, he was a a key figure in the club. He was also a very calming figure in the club. I mean, he's a he's a pretty chill person in a personality aspect, which I think is really really important. Um, and so, the good thing though we can say about. Vatska, I think Zama as well, obviously Kiel, they do care a lot about Borussia Dortmund, you know, so it's none of it is coming out of a position of aloofness, cynicism, or this is a stepping stone. They're very passionate about Borussia Dortmund in, in everything they do. I do 
worry that uh, Vatska has too many responsibilities outside of Borussia Dortmund. I can see the importance of him having those roles because then Borussia Dortmund has a presence in very important areas in European and domestic football. But then maybe one should look at restructuring a bit and adding more influence and responsibility to other people within the club. Uh, Kasim Kama being one, I think, uh, would be a good move, especially someone coming from a financial uh, perspective and then seeing, again, how Kiel does in the next couple of seasons and giving him more responsibility uh, moving forward as well. But it's it's a very difficult and, as last said, highly speculative discussion and one that will not change Dortmund's fortunes in the next three seasons. Yeah, so <laughs> I I think it's I think it's interesting. There are definitely arguments to make for why Vatska should be, you know, phased out. Let's say, but uh, yeah, obviously it's not going to happen anytime soon. Um, also, I think we should briefly touch on. Potential names should Tessic be sacked, even though I think, uh, considering that Watzke isn't leaving anytime soon, I think that Tessic is probably sitting pretty well, in, pretty firmly in the seat. But last, um, we've been asked by by listeners to uh, to name a few names of of coaches you would like to see um, that are available. So um, I think that is the uh, asterisk that we should add since. Uh, this time of the year, maybe there are not uh, too many great names that would make sense uh, available. So um, would you uh, even pull the trigger now on firing Tersic, uh if if the situation were that if, you know, you look at the potential candidates of replacement or uh, how would you approach the situation? Honest to God, I haven't put any thought into this because I think it's pretty much inconceivable that Aiden Terzic is losing his job anytime soon. Um, I think they could lose out the rest of the, the calendar year and he would be still pretty safe because Vatska is adamant on not uh, changing coaches mid-season once again. And I think there's some uh, merit to that thought process. So I, I'm not actually aware of who's available at this point. Obviously available uh, are the, the three guys that have lost their positions in the Bundesliga so far. So uh, Enrico Maasen of FC Augsburg, who obviously has a Dortmund connection, uh, having coached the second team very successfully. And I, I think he uh, is well regarded at the club, but uh, I'm I'm struggling to see how someone who was uh, sacked at Augsburg would uh, make for a strong candidate at Dortmund at this point. Uh, Bo Svensson leaving Mainz, uh, on on his own account, I think he's a good coach. Probably ruin, needed ruined Dortmund's title. <laughs> no, that was Dortmund themselves. No, no, no question about it. Uh, I think he's a good coach, but probably not Dortmund level yet. I think he's likely to go somewhere in the Red Bull Imperium over the next few years because he's uh, he he came up through uh, Liefering, which is the farm team of of Red Bull Salzburg in Austria, and I think his. His whole demeanor and approach kind of fits with uh, what what Leipzig or Salzburg or New York uh, or Bragantino in Brazil. I don't know uh, all those uh, Red Bull clubs are doing. <laughs> Name then, all the Red Bull fan teams. <laughs> yeah, 
Yeah, I think those are the four big ones, right? I, there might be some in the second division in Portugal, I think, is another one, but I don't know the name of that. Um, and the, the third uh, coach who's lost his job already this season uh, is Urs Fischer, but I mean, that that would be the Peter Stöger move, uh, which I don't think anyone at Dortmund is uh, particularly keen on, so... I don't see Stasic getting sacked anytime soon. I think if he were to uh, leave his post, that would be a summer transition uh, end of this season, end of next season when uh, his contract runs out, I think, in 25. Uh, yeah, I, I I just don't really see, see it happening. So um, the, the, the obvious name that I think would be... Um, hotly debated in like media and whatever right now would probably be Sebastian Hoeneß of Stuttgart because he's done an excellent job there. Um, they are playing the kind of football that you were used to seeing of Dortmund. Um, their squad is being put together quite nicely with a lot of exciting younger players. Um, and obviously he's the, the flavor of the month kind of candidate, which in, in Germany is often enough to be considered uh, a, a candidate for every club but Bayern. Um, maybe Nagelsmann if he loses uh, or if he leaves uh, the, the German national team after a bad Euros, which right now doesn't seem so unlikely. I think that might uh, tarnish his reputation enough for him not to get, uh, you know, uh, jobs at PSG or, uh, I don't know, Chelsea or whomever. So maybe he could be a candidate, but again, that's not not quite as, but also pretty speculative. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm. I'll be honest. I don't really think that firing Tessic right now would fix anything for Dortmund. To be honest, I think uh, we have to look a little bit closer at the recruitment. But obviously, uh, like I said, I I definitely have a lot of uh, criticisms toward the coaching. Um, but I just don't think that Dortmund are going to fare much better. Uh, with someone else at the sideline right now. Could be wrong about that, obviously, since I've been wrong about many things before and will be again going forward. Um, and yeah, speaking of going forward, um, Matthias, I think, or you, I, I don't know who said it, but the, the gauntlet ahead of Dortmund uh, now after this international break is obviously um, quite interesting. I think the it's, it's safe to say the home match against Gladbach um, this Saturday will be the easiest one on paper. Um, maybe even easier than Augsburg away, um, but it's it's Gladbach, it's uh, Leverkusen away, it's Leipzig at home. That uh, and I think there are Champions League games in between with uh, with Milan and and PSG. So, Matthias, looking forward, what do you hope to see from Dortmund coming out of this international break? Uh, any changes to the lineup? Um, maybe before. I, I let you <laughs> take over. I just want to say we have we have hardly mentioned that we have mentioned it, but Sebastian Alea missing for Dortmund as the guy they signed for. I think it was a record transfer signing or, or, or close to it. Um, to not have him in, in in full form and at the height of his capabilities is obviously a loss that is really hard to compensate. And I think if we had a really fit Sebastian Alea. Um, at the peak of his performance, how it usually would be without, um, you know, the unfortunate cancer diagnosis. I think um, the entire structure of Dortmund um, would also just be better on field because he's a player that uh, 
enhances the structure. But um, yeah, I have no idea if he will be in better shape anytime soon. I know he is scoring goals for Ivory Coast, but I don't know um, how that translates to him playing for Dortmund. So, um, Matthias, back to you. <laughs> Sorry. Uh, I've uh, seen a lot of people demand uh, Mokoko, have demand Reyna, as you uh, previously mentioned. Um, do you think these are tweaks to the lineup that uh, are valid options going forward into the, the gauntlet of games ahead? Well, with Alea, all I can say is hete hete Fahrradkette. I mean, if if he was, then it were, and there would be no Füllkrug. The Füllkrug transfer wouldn't have happened. Um, That's true. And and so the situation in the team would be entirely different. Um, that being probably said, probably would think, have invested the Füllkrug money in into in maybe a defense, fullback or center back defense. Hundred percent, a hundred percent. But Dortmund, and I and I don't fault the Füllkrug signing. I think Dortmund are better to have Füllkrug than not. Um, but obviously, there there's a disconnect there in that final third of putting away chances uh, and even just getting the ball sometimes into the dangerous positions in the final third, uh, I think is, is an issue. I mean, the, the issues are everywhere. You know, there's an inconsistent press in midfield when you lose the ball in midfield and then the rest of the team has moved forward. And then we've seen, we've seen this play out before. Uh, and then you're asking the same guys to play over and over and over and over and over again, uh, in certain key positions. Um, I think it just, you saw what happened in Stuttgart. They're just tired. They were tired. They, you could see it in their legs and the thought process and the passing. Everyone was tired. So what's my hope? Um, that they're less tired. <laughs> Because when they're not tired, they're pretty good. You know, um, we've seen them play very, very well this season. And again, I agree with both of you that Aiden Tazic is not going to get sacked this during the season, at least not mid-season, because he's done enough things right to warrant continuing on. Uh, and there's just nobody out there. I mean, Oliver Glasner, I don't necessarily think that would be a market improvement when it comes to, you know, Tezic said a few weeks ago, and I wish he wouldn't have said this because obviously this is now being used to, to beat him with when he said, you know, less sexy, uh, more successful. Well, you've achieved one of them, still waiting to achieve the other one. And if you're going to go down the less sexy football route, you better be successful because there's just no tolerance for that. And I think that's something that, that needs to be addressed. But, you know, my hope is more consistency from players that are veterans and that need to show it as far as solutions some people calling for mukoko yeah okay i can see that as a change of pace because he's just a dramatically different player from fulkuk i don't think he'll be overly happy if you put him in a, a wing position i think jamie bino gittens Has had, he's also been inconsistent this season. Adeyemi has been a train wreck this season. Um, and and they need to they need to get that figured out. I mean, Bino Gittens can't always run into a dead end and lose the ball. You know, nine out of ten times. That just breaks down a build-up and attack over and over and over again. And that needs to that needs to change. Gio Reyna, yeah. On a, the good Gio Reyna can obviously propel Dortmund forward in a creative sense, also in central midfield. However, 
I don't trust him. I I need to see a more consistent, um, you know, adversity resistant Gio Reyna when things aren't going well. That he consistently doesn't, you know, pout. Um, and that's that's a thing that needs to needs to happen. Um, and if he if he does that, if he takes that step. In the way he plays, yeah, he could be. He's a huge asset to the club, um, in in that position, and kind of helps Brandt out. That not all of the creative creativity has to fall upon him all the time. So I mean, those are my hopes. So basically, my hope is they all play a lot better real quickly. Yeah, well, I'm. I too am hoping for that. Uh, Lars, let's talk a little bit about uh, the central midfield. Uh, I don't know if Emre Can is coming back. Uh, Özcan, I think, has played surprisingly well this season. Um, I don't like um, him just paired up with Zabitza. I don't think that's uh, any anything productive coming out of this. Um, I I do like it better if if Mecha is playing paired with uh, one Özcan or Zabitza. But I'm also not the happiest with Mecha, Zabitza, and Özcan. All the same, or on uh, at the same time on the field. However, <laughs> they did beat Newcastle that way. Um, going forward, uh, what do you think Dortmund's ideal um, formation should that be if they play in the four-two-three-one? Because I think if they play the four-three-three, it's it's pretty much that. I mean, what do I think, or what do they think? What do you think? Uh, I think they don't have uh, a particularly good uh, situation on their hands because uh, their defensive midfielders are uh, John and Özcan. Uh, if we are saying that Özcan has done surprisingly well and that is more so about what he did last season than his excellency in in uh, this this campaign because he's been all right, I would say. Uh, a couple of good games, a couple of terrible games. He wasn't uh, anything to write home about. Uh, in, in uh, against Bayern or Stuttgart, um, did very well in the Champions League, which you know we can say for a number of players. Um, I honestly don't see any material difference between playing uh, John and Özcan, between them together with either Zabitzer or Netscher. Um The only thing we haven't really seen too much of is Brandt in a more defensive, or not necessarily defensive, but you know less advanced. Um, position as we did a couple of times last season or in the years past. Um, honestly, I don't think it makes makes too much of a difference to me. Um, it also kind of uh, a lot of the times uh, solves itself because uh, Metscher has been injured quite a bit. He's also a dot for Gladbach uh, on Saturday. Uh, oh, is I, he? Yeah. Um, they returned to training today. Um, with a couple of the national team guys and obviously Matcha had to call off Germany games um, and, and is not as of yet in training so you know that's kind of a time crunch whether he makes it this Saturday and obviously they don't want to take too many risks given how uh, tight the schedule is again to uh, the winter break. Uh, I don't know if Jan is available for selection against Gladbach um, so the the obvious thing to do would then be uh, to go with uh, Özcan and Sabitzer, which 
I would probably agree it's not the most exciting uh, pairing, but it might be the one that at least on paper is the the least scary in in a sense because uh, I think there's a baseline performance from Özcan and Sabitzer this season which has been acceptable, whereas uh, John and the bad parts of Metcha's play uh, have not necessarily been acceptable. So I don't know. I as I said, I don't really see uh, you know the the Königslösung, as we say in German, the, the, the absolute golden solution that solves all their problems. I think this is kind of a mix and match situation, uh, based on, you know, opponent form, fitness. And that's going, probably going to be the case, uh, throughout the rest of the season. Yeah. I'm, uh, really intrigued by the next games. Uh, I think it will really show, um, what adjustments Dortmund have made, uh, out of the last games against Bayern and Enschelkett. And obviously, uh, Newcastle as well, because um, I think going to Milan uh, is, is going to be a real interesting game. Uh, Lars, since I know you, you follow Serie A closer than than I do, uh, maybe a quick preview in that game. Uh, Dortmund obviously are top of a very tight group right now. Um, it's safe to say um, they do need at least one more result if they lose the next two games. I don't think they will qualify. Um so going to Milan and maybe get a draw or whatnot um, will definitely <laughs> their chances. Um, what uh, what can Dortmund expect uh, from from Milan? What has been their form going into the international break? Very inconsistent. Um, they obviously beat uh, Paris at home, which I think uh, so far the highlight of their season. Uh, but they've also lost a couple of Serie A games. That were um, quite surprising. I think there were already uh, rumors or, or at least fans clamoring for uh, the sacking of uh, head coach Stefan Pioli. Um, I was actually expecting uh, Milan to have a better season than they've had so far. I think their summer transfer window was quite uh, impressive. Um, they have a, a number of very good players. I think both Milan and Dortmund didn't put the best performance on the pitch when they first met uh, in, in the group stage. I think that was basically a bit of a dead rubber of a game, um, as evidenced by the result, I suppose. Um, the good thing for Dortmund is that if they win one of the two games, they are, I think, guaranteed to qualify for the knockout stages. So Yes. So that, that kind of gives you a bit of respite because uh, the final game of the group stages against PSGs at home. Um, Paris have terrible away form in the Champions League over the last couple of years. Um, I mean, they were better at uh, what was it, 4-1 by Newcastle. Uh, and obviously Dortmund went into Newcastle, beat them, had Newcastle at home beat them even more comprehensively. So uh, I, for, for all the negative talk that we've put on record now for what is it 54 minutes or whatever i don't know how, how how long it will be after you cut some of it um i'm i'm actually pretty confident that they make it out of the champions league group uh and and obviously that would be a big boost um financially prestige and also kind of showing the team that for all the deficiencies in the league um you know getting out of the so-called group of death uh, that that would be a bit of a statement. 
No, it would be a definite statement. It would be huge. I mean, if I could draw it up, I, I would have Milan and Dortmund progress out of these groups. Um, but uh, obviously I can't. <laughs> um, Matthias, uh, after Milan, there's Leverkusen, then uh, a cup match away to fourth Stuttgart. Obviously, we will check back in after the Milan game. Um, but nevertheless, if you look at the next uh, row of games... Um, I don't. I I see a lot of mismatches that do not favor Dortmund <laughs> whatsoever. I also don't know how uh, Dortmund will fare against Leipzig afterwards. Um, what do you think uh, this Dortmund team ha has uh, to adjust now to make it through this uh, stage in, in in one piece and you know not everything being even more on fire <laughs> than uh, than it is right now. There's really no difference from what I said just a, a little bit ago in terms of, you know, their their fitness and not being completely gassed. So you need some squad rotation. To be able to do squad rotation, you need fit players and options. And as we know, Dortmund don't have a lot right now. Because unfortunately, even the areas where they do have depth, the, the depth is lacking now because injuries are piling up. It seems to be a consistent issue however that being said it's the same issue that a lot of clubs are facing I mean Bayern have a razor thin squad but obviously the quality of that razor thin squad is world class in almost every position so that makes a huge huge difference if I look at these matches you know Leverkusen uh, Leipzig Milan PSG Stuttgart in the cup now we definitely know what Stuttgart does and uh, then Gladbach, that's really brutal. Um, I do believe the priority in this time, because Dortmund now, given squad situation, so when they need to set certain priorities, priority is most definitely getting three points against Milan. I mean, that's a, that's a priority to get. I think if they get that, then the outlook for the other matches, both in League and Cup, look a little bit different uh, because they can set their priorities a little bit differently. Also, when it comes to who to rest and how to set up and play, how intense to play. That's the other thing you can't forget. It's not just about keeping people fit and, you know, uh, legs fresh. It's the intensity of play. And I think that was one area when Dortmund ratchet up their intensity of play, their pressing and so on, they're immediately better. Once they ratchet that down, it becomes difficult, especially if they then still try to play out and build up the same way as if they were playing a, a higher intensity level of pressing because it's just it's just not there. You know, the, the squad is uh, disconnected. So I think how Tezic rotates and sets priorities will dictate this one. I do believe that Gladbach is the quote easiest one out of them all because he's you know it's at home and Gladbach yeah they beat Wolfsburg 4-0 but they've been really inconsistent this season they've had some really bad performances I mean they got absolutely trounced by Köln um, and have had some odd draws in there as well recently and just looking back the last four or five matches so that's that's the opportunity for for Dortmund to Gain some momentum for the really difficult run that comes after that. Um, I it, it can either be, Stefan, the total resurrection of Borussia Dortmund, 
or literally every wheel coming off. Um, I probably think it's going to be somewhere in the middle. Well, yeah, likely you're right. But I actually, I'm excited for uh, this week, maybe morbidly so, because uh, I do believe that uh, in the weeks ahead, we will learn a lot about Borussia Dortmund, and Borussia Dortmund will learn a lot about Borussia Dortmund. Maybe these are um, formative times for them in, in terms of how they adjust uh, from whatever uh, you know they learn from that, so uh, maybe they get absolutely outplayed by Leverkusen and then then Stuttgart and then Leipzig, and I'm pretty sure if that happens, there will be less satisfaction with the, whatever work they did, and will look a little closer at the mistakes they have made in the past, and maybe uh, try to do better. And I I think with Leverkusen, uh, you have certain examples of uh, what went wrong with at Dortmund versus what Leverkusen are doing right. I think uh, you can uh, always draw parallels from that. So um, I personally um, have the hope that, not that Dortmund crash and burn necessarily, but at least that um, there will be uh, some takeaways for the Dortmund front office uh, from, from this slate of games um, that in the long run help Dortmund improve. Um, that's that's sort of my approach to all of this because um, obviously I'm not sitting here and saying, oh wow, we're now uh, still in a chase for for the title. Obviously, after it was this close last season, you would hope that uh, Dortmund can improve. And I mean, they all said that uh, <laughs> they want to win uh, and do one better this year, but uh, you know, reality says right now that things are looking differently but uh, yeah it's sport you never know what's going to happen next that's why we all watch and with that uh, i wish you all a happy thanksgiving <laughs> at least to people uh, audience in the united states uh, so you matthias <laughs> that's if you celebrate and like turkey uh, you too um happy thanksgiving to you but uh, the worst uh, of the big birds stefan yeah right yeah well, that's why we have honey ham matthias uh, what what uh, thanksgiving meal uh, turkey are you? man definitely turkey and pumpkin pie and very very traditional nice Alrighty. uh anyhow uh thank you both for being on and everyone out there thank you for listening we shall be back uh next week after the milan game and uh, discuss further uh yeah until then Have a good time. Goodbye.